Uh, you just mentioned you were in Chicago, and I had another friend, uh, Greg from Mountain Pay. He said you were at like the Solana booth for Lala. And yeah. I think uh, so. Like, there's that there, and then I was in New York, and they have like the whole like Solana Spaces store thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting because Solana is definitely trying to onboard new users in unique ways now. Um, and I think I have like my own thoughts on some of them, but I'm curious, like how you think about onboarding in general, maybe like just those two, like, what do you think of those as an onboarding strategy? And how do you think about like onboarding the next big, the next billion cohort of users? No, I like, I think one of the, one of the most fun thing I have like love about Solana is Solana definitely tries to push things right compared to like other chains. Uh, and it, because of that, it gets the either. Uh, people applaud them for maybe pushing there or people like, you know, people hate them. Oh my God. It's like, you know, like the labs is doing everything. That's like, you know, the, the, the two argument, but I personally am a big fan of this, at least on the concept of onboarding the like the masses, right? The strategy that they're onboarding. I don't know that much. I am not, I'm not a marketing guy, right? I will have to look into ROI, the number of people and all that kind of stuff. But based on the number that I've seen, it's a, it's a good start. And the thing is like, it can be optimized better. Uh, and the thing is like, there are a lot of cheaper ways of like, you know, acquiring users as well. But the thing is acquiring users is not a big thing, but how can we have users that are incentivized to come back again, right? Like how can we make this user be like, aha, I, I want to do, I want to use this platform again. And that can only be done by experiences. So that's why Solana is like, you know, pushing with the Solana space. It's, it's like, you know, it's an experience. Like, you know, if you, you, you go to Hassan Yard, everyone is selling you like Rolexes and like in every store is like that, right? And right there, there's a store uh, and like, you know, you can buy things, you get 50% off if you pay, download this app and learn about, like, you know, if you learn about crypto and DeFi, you get $2, $3 here and there. It's like, it's a very, very good, like, I would call it like in-person learn to earn experiences. That's what they're doing, which is definitely interesting. It's like how scalable it is. I don't know because I'm not in real estate industry. I've never opened a physical store, but I went there, spent some money, heard what people were saying about it. They, they were saying good things. Um, and about Lala is like, you know, like to be able to have people looking at your project for like, you know, days and, 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 and like hundreds of thousands of people watching it. It's, it's definitely, there's, there's a lot of intangible values, right? Uh, but is it the best way of doing this? I don't know. They might be better. They might not be better, but at least they are pushing things, which is what we really need to appreciate them for. Definitely. Yeah. I think it seems like they're kind of like throwing a bunch of things on the wall and seeing what sticks or what like has high retention. But I agree that it's like having actual experiences is a much better way to go about onboarding. Because I remember like when I was in college and like my friends would ask me about crypto, like I can like go through and explain like what a hash function is. But anytime I would like have them open a wallet and then like try something, it just like clicks way faster than any like explanation can. I think the IRL angle is like a really interesting kind of evolution of that. Do you think that onboarding users is a job for the L1 itself, like Solana, or do you think that is for the protocol? Because so far, like the push has been by the L1s and obviously Solana is doing like some more creative things there than other people, but everyone's going to be interfacing with like the protocols and the dApps themselves. So I'm curious uh, if you think it's the L1 or the protocol. And I think like kind of easy answer is like, oh, both people should do it. But in reality, like, I think like a lot of, I mean, obviously they both have work to do and you kind of have to prioritize at some point. Oh, this is like, this is the one topic that I literally can go on for hours. This is like, (laughs) at some point I'll probably write a book about this topic. Um, because I've been like arguing with so many people about this topic for a while. I really think that the customer onboarding should go back to the L1s because uh, the whole idea of like, you know, 
a trustless system and things like that is like you people like you and me we're just building like a protocol that's just a block right like where people can connect a bunch of these blocks into use various different platforms right but now if we are bringing these users then there's a cost of acquiring this customer once there's a cost of acquiring a customer then we try to be greedy then we try to do everything all by ourselves right then we have the return profile for investors and all this different thing and instead of a protocol being like a uh, very, very like, you know, cash flow positive business, it becomes a uh, high operation expense uh, software company. That's how protocols are becoming, right? Instead of like protocols, well, the way it was presented back in 2017 or even like earlier than that, it was just was like someone's going to write a piece of software and people can just call that piece of software and do all these different things. And it gets a small amount of like, you know, rent for for being used. And because of that, they are going to be profitable and all that kind of stuff. And all the, like, you know, if it's a liquidity providing protocol, then all the participant of this, all the people who are like, you know, participant of this small block are actually getting um, yields or, you know, are getting a piece of the cut there. Like all these different things that I propose. But now that customer acquisition burden has gone down to the protocol level. That's where we are able to, like, that's when we see all this frothy market. And if that can be extracted away by the L1, I think the actual builders are the only one who's going to focus now because, You'll only need like $300,000 to actually kickstart a protocol now, right? It's like three people being paid 60 grand a month and another like 100 grand in terms of like, you know, legal costs. And you still have 20 grand, you know, that the, the protocol might use for other things, right? Like, like the cost of developing a protocol can go down to surprising lower costs. But the moment you don't have that and the customer acquisition burden falls to the individual protocol, then you have the marketing expense, you have BD expense, and you know, all that. And these are the things where like, you know, uh, you start going from a, a company with like, you know, because protocols are designed to be like almost 99% margin, right? It goes from 99% margin to all the way down to 15. That's how like, you know, that's what I think. And and we have like a couple of new blockchains coming out um, from San Francisco, which they are focusing on, like the L1s are focusing on to be the ones that are getting the uh, onboarding, onboarding the users. So it will be interesting to see how this narrative is going to play out. But personally, I just think that customer onboarding should be on L1 so that the protocol builders that you're attracting are just like purely, purely hard tech focused people who are just out there because they know that they can just build it and just leave it in the air and you'll have hundreds of people using it. And it would it, it will have it will have this like, you know, flywheel effect since day one instead of instead of spending outrageous amount of time and resources on creating this inorganic growth cycle. Interesting. So there's like onboarding to the L1 itself and then there's onboarding to like the protocol. And I think the way you outlined it, it seems like once they're on the L1, they'll automatically go to the protocol. But I think a lot of times uh, like people who are building specifically Solana protocols, they're kind of fighting over existing Solana users. And so uh, I, I'm curious, like, do you think like if you build it, they will come, right? Like if it's on Solana, like Solana will do the marketing for it and then you'll get usage or uh, I think there's like more of a line there between like being on the L1 and being a user of a specific protocol. So how do you think that bridge gets gapped and whose responsibility is that? Well, like, like right now you can see with Cupcake, right? Solana did all this uh, law like activation, right? And and Cupcake got 19,000 19, users, 19,000 wallet signups, right? And that makes them the fifth largest wallet on Solana. That is kind of the proof of it. Like, you know, L1 can actually be the on-ramp for a certain things. And so when Cupcake is, in, you know, when people get on board to Cupcake, it's not just Cupcake that's being used. Phantom is being used. Um, uh, uh, Cardinal, like, you know, a bunch of all these different protocols that is surrounding Cupcake are also being used at the same time, right? So 
this activation solved the NFT on-ramping, uh, like in a user's, user's on-ramping to NFT. So that's kind of how I think it's like, uh, it's not like just on-ramping to the L1, but the L1 can abstract the concept to directly into the protocol because like protocol or the app level, let's use the app level because app level is where it starts becoming really interesting, right? Um, so there's that, that one aspect. The other aspect is if L1 starts to onboard, because L1 has much larger budget, right? Like people like you and me, we don't have that much of budget. We cannot spend in a 50 people BD team, but probably almost all L1s have the money to do that. And now they can go out there and, you know, bring in all larger institutions who will in turn, you know, now if we have an institution, like a, a, a company that is using Solana that has 2 million users, they might need like, you know, solution like MarginFi, solution like Zebek, right? And they can just use a block of our code. And all of a sudden we have 2 million users and we didn't have to do any BD. That's kind of how I think would be a perfect outcome. But you know, the reason it's called the perfect outcome and ideal outcome is because it only happens in the idealistic scenario. And we are a lot step farther away from to achieve that position. That brings up uh, another interesting question about value accrual. So, I mean, right now, like the way things are trading, the L1s have accrued like the vast majority of the value. Um, like it's same on ETH and Solana, like all the L1s are trading at huge premiums to any protocol on them, even though the users are interacting with the protocol. Um, and so I think like as protocols go cross chain, they may have users that exist on different L1s or users who are willing to use it kind of agnostic of L1. And so there's kind of this whole debate uh, over whether like value should be accrued at the protocol or the L1 level. Um, and some people think it's like a winner take all type of market, but uh, it seems like you're in favor of like the L1 accruing value, but you're also building a protocol yourself. So how do you think about uh, that part of the equation? Yeah, I think like uh, I'll give the example is let's say at some point, 20 million people are being paid using Zebek. And it's, let's say that's the reason the word I say, let's say it's like for that to happen, it takes months and months and years and years away, right? For some reason, we are able to achieve that. Well, when we are able to achieve that, now the question is this. Um, how much in terms of transaction fee our users are paying, right? If our users are doing 20 transactions a day, that's 400 million transactions. And how much in terms of rent are being incurred, right? So now the question is like, you know, if that rent is very, very high, then there are protocols, you can see what DYDX is doing, right? I think there's a model in which the app chain might be interesting. So we, we know from like, you know, there is a path in which how the value accrual can shift, right? But in the short run, as a protocol, all you are focusing is like, how can I get the users? And so that's why we have all those protocols like fighting against each other, fighting against each other for liquidity, users, and all those different kinds of stuff. But in terms of value accrual, you know, we just don't know yet. You know, like um, I still think that there, there is going to be multi-chain. Like that's for sure. That's the direction that we are going in terms of the investment that has gone into these, these like bridges, L1s. I think they are going to survive. But now the question is like, you know, is it going to look more like um, AWS, uh, Azure, and Google Cloud and Oracle Cloud, or is it going to look more like Google and DuckDuckGo and five other search engines? Right, that's kind of the question we have, and I think it'll be interesting to see how how the how the how the market is going to go. Uh, but no matter the no matter the scenario, uh, what we have seen from DYDX is at the end of the day, the protocol always has the user. Use like you know, protocols user, all protocols user, right? If there's no um, switching fee, like or the switching friction, I think user will always follow the follow, follow the protocol. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it seems like every cycle there's been. I know like Tushar and Multicoin talks about this, but every cycle there's like some sort of new innovation that onboards a large cohort of users. So like 
whether it was like uni with the amm and then the airdrop uh that got like tokens in a bunch of people's hands who might not have had them otherwise and then like kind of the second leg of the bull market this last year like nfts really took off and onboarded a bunch of new users do you think do you see any protocols that are thinking about onboarding differently or you think are uniquely positioned to onboard like a next uh kind of step function increase in users i think that's like this is like this is actually my my personal belief as well i know for a fact that whatever worked in like last two cycles is not going to work in this cycle there's going to be something new that's going to bring a new user and and that's what is really exciting in crypto for us is like we don't know who's going to do it but we all are going to be the winner right because mm -hmm. someone's going to figure out a new strategy and the good thing about crypto and DeFi is so easy for other people to integrate right like when compound uh like you know opened up the comp reward and everyone just copied the model everyone won everyone got the new users everyone got the volume everyone got like you know and that's what I'm, I, that's for sure it's going to be exciting. But now the question is like, what is going to be that onboarding strategy? Like what is going to be, what is going to create that, you know, uh, like user's excitement, right? So that can be a new type of marketing strategy that has not been like, integrated because airdrop, you can actually at some point think of them as like a marketing strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And an NFT, we can think of them as like a gamification, right? So, so the, so, so first bull cycle was like kind of, first half of the cycle was like, you know, rewards. Second half was, uh, you know, gamification. Gamification was a big thing. Almost everything was like, you know, if you gamify something, users are going to come. Now I think that narrative or that strategy might not work out because we kind of saw not the, like almost a logical conclusion of how far it can go. So it will be interesting on what will be the new strategy, but I totally, totally believe that, uh, that concept. So that would actually apply for L1 as well. So the next L1 that might succeed it will have a completely different strategy. It's not going to have the same same way that other L1s succeeded by, you know, bootstrapping the early company by incubating them. I don't think that's going to be the same strategy in which a new L1 is going to succeed. I think they might have something new, and I think that's very exciting, honestly, because, uh, like you know, we have so many smart people doing so many things at the same time. Someone will figure something out, and like the strategies in crypto are start are going to start to look a lot closer to Web2's uh, customer acquisition strategy. Than, than ever because mm -hmm. now because web to customer acquisition strategy is expensive right that's why it never were used before but now we know that crypto and DeFi has the money right like now we have companies with like 20 30 million dollar cash in hand that can actually spend money like that so i think that's going to be that's actually like my um it's like you know uh prediction and i'm more than happy to be like wrong uh you know if it's wrong no no ego on that front but i think that's where like we are like we're headed towards because every founder i talk to you know they i have onboarded someone who was a bd manager at some larger web to company and they're coming up with strategies that like you know that's kind of like not tested in and in, in web to this day and it'll be interesting on how they're gonna when they're gonna use it because that's actually the bigger bigger question is it's not how they're gonna do it it's when they're gonna do it are they gonna do it in the middle of bear and that might kickstart the new bull run right when the market conditions start to change or are they going to do like deep like in the mid of the bear mar bull market which might create even more market frenzy next time so i don't know it'll be interesting on what they will do and when they will do but i'm pretty sure i totally agree your point there's going to be something uh new and i think it's going to look a lot closer to web 2. yeah definitely i think you see that with uh centralized exchanges already like all of them are running like paid ads or they're doing like billboards or i mean like all these things that web2 companies do all the time but like you never saw like a DeFi protocol in 2020 or 2021 doing 
Um, I think partially because one, they have the money to do it. And then two, it's just become like more competitive. There's not just like free organic growth everywhere you look. So uh, I definitely, I could see that playing out as well. What do you think is the biggest barrier to onboarding users right now? Which part is like the most painful? I think so first thing is this giving a user the confidence about the product, right? Because hmm. how many people that are out there are comfortable with a yield platform or wallet or options or something like that? There's a very small number of people that actually are comfortable with this, right? So now that's kind of the, have been the bigger problem. So now uh, that's why users are like, you know, and that's why like the crypto platforms are now trying to figure out um, like things that like the masses care, right? That's why NFT kind of made sense because now people are like, oh, is this an art? Like, you know, digital art is a digital collectible, right? That's how it was presented. That's why a lot more people were interacting with this, right? So the biggest barrier is basically like making people care about your product. It's, it's literally impossible. Like, you know, even like my mom doesn't work, right? So she like, you know, she, she, like she has a small business. So she never worked. For, uh, so she's like a one person small business. So basically she pays herself. So Zebek is a payments platform, right? It's paying people by second. I tell her this is like, okay, cool. She doesn't care about it because she does not have to personally interact with the platform, right? So they don't see the use case of it personally. So I think that's the interesting thing. What 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 is like you know what is happening in crypto and DeFi is for people to humanize an idea, they need to be able to feel comfortable with it, right? And Coinbase of the world spent five years like you know making people comfortable with like you know hey you can actually trade bitcoin and eth it's like same thing as uh well, we cannot say this but same thing as trading stocks right that's how that's how like you know even though we're not supposed to say it, but that's kind of uh, that's kind of like how they made it feel like right that's kind of like it's not it's not the similarities i'm not talking about it's like the experience the same thing right and that brought in a lot of users and and F nft is like hey it's the like same thing as trade like trading like you know collectible po pokemon cards right so now this like the question will come down to like us is like, what can we say so that we can actually have a comparable with the real world that people can automatically click in their head? And it's taking a lot longer than ever for like, because now every one of the ideas in DeFi is like now more specialized, right? Mm -hmm. We're not just a payments platform. We are a continuous payments platform focusing on people. All of a sudden our like, you know, our target market is very, very small, right? And 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 we are, we are not just, uh, options protocol but we are risk uh you know like uh, risk management for options and and defense like, it's like the, the target market gets smaller and smaller and it gets harder to onboard people because the people who can understand that needs a specialized knowledge and you cannot say that you cannot express that in 15 second ads in youtube you cannot express that in one twitter ad so that's the really the hardest part that we see right now yeah do you think uh, that's like a mistake in people's approach to be getting so specialized. Like, do you think there's still a lot of sort of top of the funnel work to be done? Or, I mean, I think it's not surprising that people are like niching down and specializing, but do you think that that's like a poor strategy? Uh, it would depend, like, you know, because uh, there are, there's, there, there are opportunities to be multi-billion dollar company by being niche strategy focused, right? There's, there's totally an opportunity for that. And, and that like you, you have the classic Silicon Valley route where, you know, you focus on a niche and then you expand upon, right? Like Facebook started as a social network of college kids just for Ivy League. And then over the time they became the social network of the world, right? So we have seen that play out. But now the question comes out is like, how can you have a loyal first thousand, 10,000 or 15,000 users and how can you expand upon them, right? So there is, there is an option of being successful by that method. But yeah, there's still opportunity to be like, you know, uh, top down. There's still things that like, you know, that can, uh, that can like to this day, I haven't, I haven't played a very fun blockchain game. 
right? Um, like, you know, that might be an easy way for people to onboard a lot of users. But the problem is how many years it takes to build a good game? Years, right? Like, we remember when Cyberpunk got announced and when it got actually released. It takes years for that, right? So now the question is, like, we might see the same effect in, like, effect in, like, two or three years from now where the game company that we invested, like, last year are going to launch their product. And that might be the way for next 15, 20, or 30 million people coming in in, like, you know, over, over, over a few months. So that's kind of the... Uh, that, that's kind of that's kind of the that's kind of the direction that uh, I think is going to happen. But again, um, it's very up for debate, you know, because protocols like you and me want to believe that specialization is the right way of doing it, and there will be someone who will be like, no, you know, there's only eight hundred people who who are going to care about margin finders, four hundred people that are going to care about Zepic, right? So, so that's always the that's always a big problem for people like you and me. Yeah, yeah, I agree though. Uh, yeah, the wedge approach, I guess is what people call it. Uh, it has played historically. Uh, we should, I'm curious about payments though. Um, obviously you're working in the payment space. Um, what do you think has been like the big blocker there? Because obviously like when Bitcoin first came out, it was like this electronic cash. Um, I think that's always been kind of like the, the, the simplest use case and what people like think of when they think of crypto in the most basic terms is like, it's a way to just like transact and, uh, exchange value and obviously it's been like 13 14 years since bitcoin first came out and it's still there's not like many places you can use crypto as a payment so i'm curious like what do you think have been the blockers there and how do you think that changes over time i think the the first thing um we have seen ourselves is um you go to starbucks right you try to buy a cup of coffee uh you just can't spend your usdc for that that's kind of like the like this easiest way of understanding is Merchant adoption is always the biggest thing. That's what Solana Pay is doing right now, right? Mer the, and Solana Pay and like Mountain Dow, right? If you are able to solve the merchant adoption problem, all of a sudden, you can actually start incentivizing those merchants to, hey, asking people to, because you and I cannot go to 130 million Americans to force them to download apps because Venmo already did it. Venmo spent millions and millions of dollars doing it. PayPal already did it, right? So now, if you want to go and win that market, we have to win the merchants because you and I cannot stand in Starbucks and ask everyone who walks in be like, hey, you know, if you download Phantom Wallet and pay people using this, we'll give you a free cookie or something like that. Starbucks can give free cookie all day because now there's all of a sudden they're saving 2.9%, right? They're saving millions of dollars by like by changing the payment processing to Solana, right? But for them, for us to reach like uh, to Starbucks and the, the Burger Kings of the world itself is going to take years and years because for us, we still have not made the experience smooth for them. And they want a plug and play solution. It's like, hey, we take this system off and put your system in. What is going to be uh, what is going to be friction for us? Because they're not talking about one or two employees that they have to explain how to use this platform. They're talking about hundreds and hundreds, right? When things don't work out. Do you have a support system? Uh, you know, like all these things that like what these larger fintech companies have done or these larger processing companies have already done is they have spent millions and millions of dollars in these processes that creates guardrails. It's like you 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 crack the merchants to realize there's 90 other things that has been built inside. And you have to basically break every one of these walls to go deep inside to actually win this prize, right? It's like you think that winning the merchant is the biggest thing. It turns out after winning the merchant, that's that's where the real nightmare begins. It's like when two transactions don't go through or because Solana had a congestion or something like that for 30 seconds, five, it's not going to be five people who's going to have a problem. There's probably maybe 15,000 transactions that might have failed in, in 
in Starbucks and imagine handling 15,000 calls, right? How many startups, payment startups in crypto has money to actually have that big of support team? These are like these are like these are just a start. I can go on like you know hours on what are all these different things that they have created within uh, as almost like a, it's not even a barrier of entry. It's like you you can come in and then you realize that you cannot succeed. That's how they that's how they have created the scenario. So for us, we have to we have to play like you know um, the Trojan horse type of method where we bring a product that is simple enough that we don't need to have support and all those different things. And then again, the wedge approach, right? And slowly start to expand our territory. But over the time, these payment processes don't need to be there. It's just a phantom wallet and or mountain pay or, you know, like, like these few things that can actually handle the, the end to end of it. That's kind of how um, I think it's gonna, this, this is going to play out. But again, you know, payment has been long, like twice longer than I have, like I've been alive. So I am, I might be so wrong about it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. There's like a huge operational burden there. It's not just like you got the rails and you're good to go. Like there's all the inventory and yeah, it's not as simple of a problem as it seems from the outside. Um, I agree that like B2B to C approach makes a lot of sense. And that's obviously like what Zebec has done as yep. well. Um, maybe could, could you just give like a brief intro on Zebec and what you guys do for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, of course. So Zebec is a continuous settlement protocol, right? It's a really sexy way of saying instead of sending money as a one-time thing, we can chop it up and we can send it by second. So imagine that that will be, you're working for a company, they're paying you $10,000 a month. So probably you're receiving $5,000 every two weeks. Imagine instead of receiving that, you're able to receive that money every single second in your wallet in Zebec. So every single second, the money is going up. So you are able to get real-time access to your earned ways. So that's what we are really enabling. So this changes payroll industry completely yeah. because payroll industry's entire business model is b built on to make your money slower because slower your money goes to you the more money i more i can keep it in our balance sheet equals to i can yield on that balance sheet right like adp makes 486 million dollar a quarter just from float like they're not doing anything just from the float itself they make 486 so like you know they make more money than entire like you know like like last year ETH burned like a billion dollars or something like that right that's how much they they burn in 12 months they make twice that amount of money just on float yeah it's uh it's crazy but i think it's also become very ingrained in like consumer psychology right like people uh they get paid like twice a month and then they think about like their expenses and timing that uh in those increments and especially like something like uh if you're like living more paycheck to paycheck and then you have rent, like, you know, you're going to get that lump sum before, but if you're getting it like every second, I'm curious, have you like received any feedback about like people struggling with like the shift there or how has that played out? Yes. Like I think like almost uh, like almost 60 to 70, 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck of which half of them uh, take this earn early earn ways access um, loans where they're paying up to 300% interest rate. Right. That's wow. hundred million Americans that are directly and indirectly interacting with this. Every year over $30 billion is spent like in a by earned by these like these predatory lending platforms. Uh, I think uh, JP Morgan makes more money than every single crypto protocol combined, including Ethereum and all the L1s just on the overdraft fees. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Huh. I have so, not heard that. I gotta look into that. Yeah, that is true. Like, like- That's like, wild. So, so this, this thing from that perspective, the, this massive, massive, massive industry, right? And 
payments, like we're not even scratching the surface of payments. And the reason we're going after payroll is very unsexy because it's going to be very, very tedious. And we are seeing it ourselves. The cost of acquiring customers is high. People don't like to change things. People are scared of changing it to crypto. There's all those different things. But we know that the end opportunity is, is like if we do 1% of U.S. payroll, that's $200 billion worth of payment process every year. Wow. So every year, U.S. process is $20 trillion. Yeah. That's a massive, massive opportunity, right? So we know that if we are able to crack this industry, this, um, and the, the thing is, once we're able to onboard the users, now they know about USDC, right? And the next thing they do is like, oh, yield and yield and risk. And all of a sudden, right? Like our whole idea is over the long, how can we enable, you know, smart, like how can we enable users to be smart enough to be able to understand value of like margin fi and value of every single other protocols, right? Because normally like, you know, banks abstract all the concept away and they do it, they run it on the back as a centralized entity, right? Our whole idea is kind of take that into a front and that's why we launched the app store, right? Where people are able to get paid and put it on various different yield pools, right? So this right off the bat, it's like, you know, the payroll industry is big, it's slow, it's massive. It makes outrageous amount of revenue. And our idea is how can we take that, put it on blockchain and distribute the, distribute the fees that they are collecting back to the user so that it actually enables a, a, a better world at the end of the day, right? Like imagine like the, the saddest part about overdraft fee is it's like Anders, you and me are not gonna pay overdraft fee. Like if JP Morgan charges you 25 bucks because you know your Rolex you paid, you were like, you're like, oh cool, like I'm gonna transfer my from my one bank to another bank, right? You know who are the ones who are affected by this? Someone who's working at McDonald's. Because so for a random reason, 75 cents was overcharged to them. And now their $25 is gone. $25 is sometime three hours worth of their labor. So that's kind of where we like what, what we know about this industry is like. Fintech companies or these financial tech companies take most amount of money from the poorest of them all. So, so that's kind of where, like, you know, where we are coming in and we are trying to transform that. So, yeah, I mean, you listed some pretty, uh, pretty like haunting statistics about uh, just like wealth inequality in the U.S., but we're still like the richest country in the world and we're having these problems. And so what a lot of people talk about is how blockchains can be used to enable payments and also just like stable banking systems for third world countries. Um, and I know uh, you talked a little bit about that on the panel we did in Miami. So I'm curious, like, do you think uh, this is more, more likely to be adopted as like an actual payment rail in the U.S. and de developed economies first or in uh, less developed ones? I think U.S., like, like it'll be in developed economy first, because the thing is, like, if we are able to solve like, like these, like, you know, what, we, what I call is the social problems of like, you know, of fintech failures. That's what I call them, right? There's like, these are basically like social problems, right? That are that are created by fintech failures. First thing is like, let's, like, let's solve this, like, you know, predatory lending practice, payday lending, right? That's a 20 to $30 billion annual industry, right? 20 to $30 billion annually coming in, uh, in revenue. Like, you know, you put like, you know, uh, 20X EBITDA margin on that. That's like, you know, crypto industry automatically goes to $4 trillion, just solving payments in the US, payroll, payroll payments, right? Then you go to international money transfer. International payroll is even more of a nightmare because you are they're paying 3%. You know, the amount of money like you, so you right now when you get your paycheck, right? It's like $5 it's charged for you or $10 it's charged for you. Like the, whatever the, or like if you get to get a bank wire, it's 25 bucks that it charged to you, right? Imagine being charged 3%. So sometime when you're getting like, let's say every year you're getting $100,000 inside, right? Imagine paying $3,000 in fees. 
that's how much international pay, you know, paycheck is like, like payment is, right? And on any type of transfers, that's how it is. And it takes like weeks to do that, those transfers. And I myself, I'm from Nepal, right? 70% um, of Nepal's like, you know, GDP is basically contributed by like, you know, uh, internationally, like people, like people who are working foreign countries, they send, they send uh, remittances back to Nepal, right? Mm. And people are sending 500 bucks a month or 600 bucks a month because, you know, in Nepal average yearly income is like 1500 bucks. And these like smaller, like, you know, these like what I call as the money processors, they take 4%, 4 to 5%, right? And they're taking from like, again, people like you and me, we wire money, right? So when we're saying $50,000, yeah, 25 bucks is not a lot and we, we're comfortable with it. But when someone is sending $450 so that they're able to do something like, you know, for their family, those are the ones who are charged 5%, right? So if we are able to solve in the US, then we already have a big enough demand because Countries like U.S., Dubai, like um, in like, a lot of countries in Europe where a lot of these foreign companies, like, you know, people from third world countries go and work there. So if there is crypto presence there, then all of a sudden we have solved one sided of supply and demand problem. Right. So now all we have to do is set up an off ramp in every one of these other uh, these like third world countries. And all of a sudden we have we have we have solved that international payment. I know how we how we th I think is going to play, play out. But again, the best part about this is I'm still solving one like a very very small part of this problem there are hundreds of companies who are doing other like additional sided things and we all are you know joining our hands just to disrupt the system using you know this new rail so so yeah i think that's that that's where it's gonna like pan out like you start with like you know like we because it's at the end of the day everything is a supply and demand problem so you cannot solve both at the same time you cannot be launching in in nepal and u.s at the same time because the product that works for nepal is not going to work in the u.s and and it has to be a very slow and 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 very like methodic approach because you know Visa didn't launch their Visa network in two days. It's been going on for years and years. And to assume that you are going to transform Visa is a part of America's uh, what I call is America's backbone, right? Mm. To if you want to take that out, you cannot take that out. You have to like you have to slowly replace it with something bigger and better, right? And it takes a long, long time. Yeah, what have you seen? Uh, I know Visa has been interested in crypto for a while. Um, have you seen them do anything interesting, or do you think they're more or less just like keeping an eye on it for their own safety? I think like you know they 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 Visa launched uh, Visa uh, I think Visa Visa Direct or something like that. That's what it's called. Where now instead of Visa settlement taking like days, now you can sell in all two hundred plus countries, uh, and now you can do it in three percent, right? So basically, Visa is taking uh, going after the going after the international money transfers. So instead of them charging five percent, we're like, hey, we'll charge you three percent. And I'm just like, you're not any better. <laughs> yep. It's like, yeah, it's the, the 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 idea is I'll only break four of your bones. It's like that's what it's, that's that's kind of like you know, that's kind of what the what's happening. But again, you know, like I'm I don't know how like complex the system is, and and three percent itself is a massive massive advantage for them, right? Uh, for the for the end users but still it's not the perfect solution um and what visa is taking the, from the the crypto playbook is uh they are using they're basically trying to understand where it's like you know you can have the highest impact right so they bought a crypto punk as a symbolic way of saying hey we are entering into uh into crypto um now they are being more friendly with crypto debit cards so there's all these different things that are that they're doing but i still think we're like like we are like five to ten years away from e for us to even you know achieve in like the states yeah in like in like like to to achieve any one of our goals that we have right because we want millions of people caring about margin fine we want millions of people caring about public right but for that to happen we have to think not in one or two years 
we probably might have to think in terms of decades because that's why, how these payment companies were successful because they were, they were able to see in, in a decades at a time frame, and that gave them a perspective which is much farther than bull run and, and bear market and launching a token, inflationary token rewards and all those different things, you know, which is great for us. But if we really want to disrupt the Web2 ecosystem, we have to think like them and we have to plan like them and use use what we have in our Web3 economy as our what I, as, as our secret weapon that these companies cannot use. Yeah, totally. Um, I agree. Like the long term for focus is critical. And I think Solana's done a really good job of it, right? Like the original goal was like NASDAQ on chain. And obviously Anatoly has like big long term aspirations, uh, which is also seen in them going after payments. But uh, their whole thing is you have to solve problems today as well, which is why like they ship and prod and, uh, you know, like break stuff and see what happens because you have to like show up to work every day and make progress today, even if you're like working in a long time frame. So um, maybe I'm curious just like a little bit more about what Zebec is doing today. I know you guys focus on like Dow Treasury a bit, but what's been the approach for you guys today? And uh, how does that play out, play into your longer term vision? So we finally, after spending eight months of building product, we have something that's already being used by people on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. On top of that, we I think we will be done with our core product It's um, in the next two months, right? then we will be able to spend some time and effort on customer acquisition. And we have now, now Zebek is going to go a little bit farther away from like, you know, spending resources on technology to resources on customer acquisition. And we have some interesting um, plans coming out in terms of how we are acquiring customer. And our whole idea is how can we have, let's say a billion to 2 billion in annual volume of actual payrolls, right? Um, and I think we will be able to do that pretty soon uh, based on the tra trajectory that we are going. And once we do that, then then only we'll think about the next steps of like, okay, we've got all the customers. So what else do we do with them, right? Like what are the additional products that we can add? And that's where all the things that we built, like, you know, Zebek App Store, Zebek Debit Card, you know, like 401k, all these different things starts coming in. So, so that's where like, you know, it's very exciting for us because our product team has built product that is tested, is sustainable, right? And now, our, our, now we have some interesting user growth um, strategies that is coming out and that's where we're going to be focusing next one one year. So that's why I'm in Chicago, you know, just purely mm -hmm. focus on focus on customer building and a little bit, a little bit farther away from the from the beaches of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Are you still focusing on like vendors and that like B2B to C approach yep. or because I know like Lala was a lot of kind of like mass onboarding. So, so B2B to C is going to be our like biggest way of being successful because payroll is not something you can sell to consumer. Like that's a funny yeah. thing. Like, like, yeah, like I want to be paid in I don't know, like, like moonstones. Like it doesn't work like that. Like it, until my company gives me an offer, like, hey, you can like you know every month we'll give you like you know two grams of like stone from moon. I'm like, yeah, great. You know that kind of until they offer me, it just doesn't work like that, right? So that's why we have to go to B two B two C. So, so that's why we have like now a dedicated four people team where we are testing some of our B two B strategies. Um, and now we're like acquiring them on a much, much larger mass scale. So we did some interesting thing with Solana. So now, now we're going after actual Web2 customers and it's more fun there because there you get to explain them what is Phantom and, and, and more than what is Phantom, why Phantom, you know, <laughs> that's like, that's the most interesting question someone asked me is like, oh, so download Phantom Wallet, like, but why Phantom? Isn't that anything else? And I'm like, well, about Solana. <laughs> And you can also use this wallet. And then they're like, well, what about MetaMask? I have heard about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Actually, so that uh, the MetaMask thing brings up an interesting point. So I'm sure you've like done the math on this, but I am curious, like uh, if I get paid by the second for like a two week pay period versus getting a lump sum at the end of it, what is like the difference in gas fees on that? Obviously, like it's enabled because you're on Solana and it's like a fraction of a cent. But what does that work out to? Oh, best part about Zebek, the way Zebek does things is you what do you want to do when you're paid by the second do you want to take the money every single second out or do you want to take it out or put it in different yield vaults right you can direct it to different yield vaults and then it will take the money out every like certain time period like every four hours six hours eight hours ten hours like whatever the time frame it is so that the gas fee all in all it comes down to like less than a cent and <laughs> and and the yield itself is like it, it's over like over like 50 cents like, you know, even in even in this yield scenario, right? Like, you know, back in the day when, uh, like, you know, Solana Summer was coming on and, and Sierra was giving 99% APY with SBR tokens, right? Uh, it would have been like 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 over $10 if you're being paid like 1000 bucks a week. So is it, um, is it kind of like a, uh, like, stake governance token or like the way people do like interest rates where there's like, uh, like your main token and then there's another token that has like a multiple that increases as the uh interest accrues or is it actually like a transaction like that amount is being sent every second so like oh. do i claim the value or is it sent every second oh yeah, yeah. so it's it's you, you have to claim it the way it works okay. is like you know like it's, it's basically it's in the smart contract only either you or the sender can take it out or like you know solana needs to be happy right okay That's the only way that can like that will work so the way it works is like sender has the option of pausing and canceling it and you have the option of withdrawing it. Cool, yeah. That was, uh, I, I had to ask next, like what happens if the chain goes down, but like that makes uh, it's like a lot smoother, yeah, if it's just like accruing value rather than directly streaming. And, and even when the chain goes down, actually we, we keep the, like the timer clock, so you open it up like, you know, six hours later, your transaction didn't slow down. It's just mm -hmm. like, oh, six hours, like, you know, six, like six hours worth, worth of time happened, so it automatically, you know, the clock allows you to do that, so. So that's that's the best thing about like you know using Oracle to to enable things like this. How did that go when uh, there was like the clock drift on Solana? How did that affect you guys? Oh, you, well, you, we, uh, we were not basing our time using Solana. We were basing our time using uh, using Oracle. Very so. cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, cool. All right, that's uh, all the questions I've got for you. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah. Awesome. And, great chatting with you. Yeah, I might, I might, I might drop by um, uh, in Salt Lake, and if I'm there, like you know, we'll definitely, you know, have, have have some fun conversation. I was, I was in Alta for let's say three days. Mm -hmm. Interesting time, Inter interesting place. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, how is it interesting? It's like if you if you come from San Francisco, that place is just like you know, it's a completely different world. It's mm -hmm. people, people have various different like very different aspirations than people from San Francisco and very different viewpoints. As well, so and 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 like I had a great time, honestly, because like that was the first time because I lived in San Francisco all my life, right? At least in America. Mm -hmm. You come there and they're like, "Oh, so you're not asking me about my startup and you don't care about it? That's amazing! Thank you." You know, like that's that's what I really liked about uh, Utah. It's very like what I call it is like real people, you know. So mm. that's one fun place, and that's why I can see why you are there. Like it helps you focus completely at, to yourself. Yeah, definitely. You get. Yeah, you get very caught up in the status games in like New York and San Francisco, and it's uh, it's much more relaxed here. Which I think there's like trade offs too, but uh, it is like a nice it's nice to come out here and just like relax in that regard. Yep, totally. Well, again, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on.